Thanks for listening to the podcast from Old Town Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Old Town Church is passionate about making disciples for the glory of God in Old Town and around the world by inviting people to know the gospel, experience biblical community, and live on mission. If you're in the Rock Hill area, we invite you to join us for worship every Sunday. If you're not in our area, we encourage you to find a gospel-believing church near you. We hope this podcast is a blessing to you as we seek to follow Jesus and the grace of his gospel. Thanks for listening. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is in new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Next time y'all ask us to read, ask Olive, because we can't keep her off the stage. (laughs) Uh, Good morning, church. My name is Sean. Yes, y'all can... Have a seat unless you want to stand up the entire sermon. So, uh, my name is Sean. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Old Town Church. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about uh, new life in Christ, but also with a focus uh, on what it means to be in Christ. So, actually, Brian, you could probably come up here because evidently you saw my sermon. And I didn't know you did. Uh, how many have made New Year's resolutions? He read, you know, stats on how many at some point in time. I'm not saying you're making them tonight. How many have made them? Right. Okay, so we saw the stats. Normally by the time the calendar turns February, most people have already stopped doing that. So, uh, you know, as we do that, you know, how do, how do they typically pan out for us individually? Probably based upon the stats that Brian was reading up here, right? Uh, so if we're honest with ourselves, we understand we typically don't keep those. So why is it so tough to keep a resolution? For me and probably most of you, I believe it boils down to the fact that the resolutions are typically nothing more than a behavior modification uh, that is rooted in something that's not always a deep conviction for the work, maybe the results, and even the change that has to take place in order for that resolution to be kept. So as Brian also talked about, you literally had my entire intro. We're talking about habits of grace. We're going to be getting into the series and kind of, okay, what are some of these habits? What are some of these spiritual disciplines? And as we go through that, it's a series to help us walk through some of those. Uh, But spiritual disciplines are vital to our walk with the Lord and our sanctification in the Lord. 
But I want to caution us all to be careful. Spiritual disciplines can easily become nothing more than a New Year's resolution, a behavior modification. The reason for this is that many times spiritual disciplines can easily become tasks we do because we know they're the things we ought to do for our faith to grow. The question we must ask ourselves is what is the foundation that we build our spiritual disciplines on? Said another way, what is the why or the motivation behind our spiritual disciplines? Well, church, I want to propose a few things as we kind of get into this. First, we must realize that our foundation and motivation for spiritual disciplines in life and our temporary home, as we even studied in Philippians, we are citizens of heaven, this is our temporary home, must be rooted in who we are in Christ and nothing more. If it's rooted in how we perform, if it's rooted in appeasing someone, if it's rooted in pleasing someone, then it's not going uh, to go from there. So it's how we're rooted in Christ. We also have to look at the condition of a heart. Jeremiah 17, 9. It tells us this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You see, our hearts are not actually even capable of honoring God apart from being in Christ. This, is, this in Christ is a preposition that is used many times by Paul but throughout Scripture. And, it, and it's such a key to understanding what the foundation is as we get into this next series of spiritual disciplines. If we're in Christ, that means we are different. And we'll see that a lot in verse 17 but throughout these passages. See, our foundation cannot be built on behavior modifications. It can't be built on trying to do better, trying to be better. It can only built, be built on the rock of our salvation, and that's Jesus Christ. We must remember that being in Christ is not about doing. It's literally about being. It's not about doing activities. It's about being in Christ. And as we look back and we see in Scripture in the Old Testament before Moses, and we even see in Philippians 2, 1 through 11, the same word that is used there is what was used before Moses when he said, who should I say sent me? He said, say I am sent you. Okay? God said I'm the great I am. He is because that's his character. He does because of what his character displays, not because he's doing. He says I'm the great I am, not the great I do. And we do well to understand that as well. So as we go in this, our actions, ought to, God's actions flow from who he is. And our actions ought to flow from who we are in Christ. Going back probably about a year plus back in our abiding series, we came out of John chapter 15. It's important for us to note a few points as we kind of get into this and go, okay, what are, why are we doing the spiritual disciplines that we do? What is that rooted in? And these are just a couple things maybe for us to think. Spiritual disciplines without abiding cause us to create a checkbox mentality. Anybody, anybody love checkboxes, right? Okay, depending on personalities, right? There's a lot of us with that personality. We like the check boxes, right? Because we know it's done. Spiritual disciplines without abiding becomes legalism. We become basically a Pharisee. Well, I'm doing this because it makes me look better or I can do this or I'm not really, in, I'm not really tapping into Christ. What I'm doing is I'm actually just living the best I can and hoping other people see that and it becomes legalism at that point in time. The spiritual disciplines because we abide in Christ, that's obedience. And that's what God calls us to is obedience. So our big idea for today as we go through this passage is being in Christ frees us from the control of sin, it makes us a new creation, and it gives us a new ministry and imparts Christ's righteousness to us. So as we go through this, we wanna look and go, okay, what are the foundational truths? 
I'm not going to be able to do justice to this entire passage of the depth of the theology and everything else that's in this ministry of reconciliation, but really want us to focus on the in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ and how do we make that the foundation that we root our spiritual disciplines and our entire life in? And that's what we'll study today. So our first point, in Christ, we are no longer controlled by sin. In Christ, we are no longer controlled by sin. 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 14, verses 14 through 16. Again, it says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So a couple of quick points here. So the love of Christ controls us, okay? And I'm gonna probably talk a little bit about this a little bit later. What controlled us before we came to Christ? What were we in bondage to? Sin. Sin is what controlled us. When we're in Christ, we're no longer under the bondage of sin, but we're actually controlled by the love of Christ. Such a better controlling factor. So we die, or Christ died for us, through his death and resurrection, demonstrating his perfect and sacrificial love. And then these verses also tell us not only did Christ die for us, but when we're in Christ, we also die to ourselves. In his book, The Root of Righteousness, A.W. Tozer notes this. It says a real Christian is an odd number. He feels supreme love for one he has never seen, talks familiarly every day to someone he cannot see, expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another, he empties himself in order to be full, admits he is wrong so he can be declared right, goes down in order to get up, is strongest when he is weakest, richest when he is poorest, happiest when he feels worst. He dies so that he can live, forsake in order to have, and gives away so he can keep. Okay, That doesn't seem like anything that before coming to Christ we're told because sin attempts to convince us that it's better to satisfy ourselves than actually live out these virtues and characteristics that God has proven that satisfaction only comes when we're seeking to glorify him and when we're actually in Christ himself. So we can see three points of how sin no longer controls us and because it no longer controls us and loves, Christ's love does, we see three quick points. And by the way, I'll go ahead and say, I know there's kids in here. I've got four points. I'm mostly through my first point. So this won't be one of my typical long-winded sermons probably. So we'll, we'll keep it, but if, there's, if they're making a little noise, that's fine. I'm fine with that. Just go ahead and do that. We'll get through this. Uh, but we do want to lift up some, some new characteristics that Christ's love controlling us creates. First, it creates a new passion. You see, you know, we are now controlled by the perfect love of Christ and not our sin. Our passion for everything is now shaped by that love that Christ did and, and what he demonstrated on the cross for us. So we constantly have to look to the cross. I heard somebody say years ago, very godly woman, she said, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We need to literally wake up and preach that gospel to ourselves every day, never get tired of it. Uh, we had another uh, minister of music years ago and he said, you know, I got saved and never got over it. And I know there's a couple of people who know exactly who I'm talking about. It was a Bennyism. Uh, but he would say that and that's, I think many times we become complacent and we're like, 
oh, God saved me. But then we get years down the road and life happens and circumstances happen and we forget how good God is. We get away from the foundational truth that Christ, being in Christ, is what actually gives us what we need to make it through each day. So in my day job, I'm actually a home builder, okay? Foundations are vital, right? Hopefully nobody in here has ever had a house that had a foundation problem, because if you did, you know, it created many more problems and just continued to go up. So building a firm foundation, building that strong foundation is key, not just in a house, but also in our, in our faith. We see that, we talk about, you know, when Jesus was talking about, do you build it upon a rock or do you build it upon sand? We need to build it upon the rock, and when we do that, we have a firm foundation. So we have a new passion, but we also have a new priority. You see, we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Christ. Galatians 2.20 clarifies this point when Paul writes, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And now the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, we were bought with a price when Christ died for us. His love now compels us. We no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Christ because of what Christ has done for us. When we can come to that conclusion and remember what he has done. We see in the Old Testament all these, these pillars that were put up, right, when they crossed through the Jordan. He said, put up these stones. We have our Ebenezer right here to remind us when God planted this church, look back at how faithful I've been. God constantly would allow people to do that to where they could go back and remember, God, I, I've kind of been through a tough patch. Let me go back to what you have done for me and let me see how faithful, great is thy faithfulness as we just sang. It's about God. It's his faithfulness. It's being rooted in his faithfulness that we can then have that new passion, that new priority. But it also gives us a new perspective. You see, we as humans can easily fall into this trap of compartmentalizing kind of our God and church stuff and then our everything else stuff. We're like, okay, go to church. Okay, I'm going to serve over here. I'm going to do this. We tend to compartmentalize that and we separate out God from things that we don't deem as God or church things, but what we need to realize is everything is a God thing. Everything that we do as believers is a God thing. And so when we do that, we see the truth of the matter, uh, and in his glorious grace, he's freed us from the bondage of sin. We're no longer controlled by it, but we're controlled by the love of Christ. Can we rejoice in that, that we're not controlled by the bondage of sin, that we're actually controlled by the love of Christ, and that love is what he left the glories of heaven for and actually came to this earth and died on the cross for us. See, Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, actually states it well when he said, a holistic Christian worldview translates into a radical otherworldly difference in the way we live and work, think and act. Christians are called to be absolutely faithful and different and different in ordinary and extraordinary situations. We are called to be like Jesus. Whether we work in a medical lab or perform intricate surgery, operate a factory forklift or act as a chief executive officer, sell merchandise or engage in direct marketing, work in political arena or school classroom. You see, God is interested in the way we do what we do, not just that we do it. All of our living, all of the time. He's interested in the way we do what we do, all of our living, all of the time. So my question for all of us, church, why do we do what we do in life? 
Why do we do the work that we do? What's our motivation for work? Obviously, there's the temporal. While we're here on earth, we have to make money, right, to support our family. Why do we do the things we do for work, for church? Why do we have the relationships that we do? Why do we do what we do? What is our motivation? Is it self-centered or is it God-centered? If it's self-centered, there's going to be ebbs and flows to it, and it's, it's going to fall apart. If it's God-centered, then God's going to take care of everything for us. So not only are we no longer in Christ, are we no longer controlled by sin, but point number two, in Christ, we are a new creation. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, one of my favorite verses uh, in all of Scripture. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You see, it's important for us to understand that when we're in Christ, the Holy Spirit gives us new life. We're not reformed, we're not rehabilitated, we're not re-educated, we're literally recreated. Okay, I'm gonna repeat that again because I think sometimes we, we miss that and we, we hear what the world has to say, okay? We're not reformed, we're not rehabilitated, and we're not re-educated onto things. We're actually recreated if we're in Christ. He's given us a new life. The Sean that lived before coming to Christ is dead, okay? Now, it doesn't mean that Sin doesn't pop up, right? Individual sins do pop up. That's what sanctification is. But it means my old self has been dead. I've been buried with Christ. So as we go through this, John 3, 3 talks about how we must be born again, okay? Being reborn. Romans 6, 3 and 4, it says this. Do you, know, do you not know that all of us that have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You see, we can walk in newness of life. We don't have to have, Hebrews talks about the sin that so easily entangles. Anybody ever run through a field with a lot of high brush and you start getting your legs caught and everything else? It's tough to run through that, isn't it? That's what sin does to us, is it continually entangles us. What God is saying is, I have freed you from all that. You can run through on a clear path. You don't have to be constrained and held back by the things that grab a hold of you, this sinful nature. I have freed you from that. Live in that freedom. And I think, church, please hear me in this. I think so many times we as believers, we allow the enemy to get a foothold by going, you're not good enough. You just did this. You just sinned against God. You, you don't deserve his forgiveness. And the cross says something completely different. Okay. One of the things, uh, we partner with Victory Sports some through the summer uh, where we're going to do some sports camps. And uh, one of them is just about an hour and 15 minutes down the road in Lugoff. And one of the things they'll do is they'll have soccer balls. And you all probably seen it. And I don't have a bracelet on me now. But it'll have different colors on it. And we kind of go through the gospel on that. And one of them, one of the colors is actually white. And it talks about cleansing. And we use this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And there was actually a little kid years back that looked at it and so we have gold for God's glory, dark or black is for man's sin, we have red for the blood of Jesus, and then the next one is white, and we go through, if anyone is in Christ, he's new creation, the old is gone, behold, the new has come. And a child said, okay, so when you accept the red, he covers the darkness and he cleanses you. And we're like, yes, you at six or seven years old get it right? Jesus does the work. 
And that's, again, we want to root in the foundation of being in Christ. Jesus is doing the work. We're not doing the work. Our work is to submit to Christ and let him do the work for us. We surrender to him. When we're weak, then we are strong. When we do that, then, yes, the blood is able to cover the darkness, and then we're washed white as snow, and we can live as that new creation only because of what God has done. Henry Blackaby uh, wrote in a devotion, Experiencing God Day by Day, and this is where we kind of fall into a trap. The problem is that we seek change by our own will rather than turning our lives over in faith to the one who has given us new life. The profound testimony of Scripture is that the blood of Jesus Christ and the death of the Son of God is sufficient to completely, not partially, not some, to completely free you from sin. Satan will seek to convince you that it is not. Whom will you believe? Okay, I'm going to read that quote one more time because I think it's, it's pertinent for us to kind of marinate on this a little bit. The problem is that we seek change by our own will rather than turning our lives over in faith to the one who has given us new life. The profound testimony of Scripture is that the blood of Jesus Christ and the death of the Son of God is sufficient to completely free you from sin. Satan will seek to convince you that it is not. Whom will you believe? So my question is, who do you believe? Do you believe when Satan gets in your head and is in that battlefield of the mind and is saying, Sean, you're not good enough. Sean, you sinned against God. Here's, here's an alternative. Why don't you go this route? Just as he tempted Jesus, why don't you throw yourself down and the angels will lift you up? Satan was quoting scripture out of the Psalms. Misinterpretation, but he was quoting scripture. He was trying to get him to take the easy way out instead of surrendering to the will of the Father, which we know Jesus did. So, which one will we believe? So not only are we no longer in Christ, are we no longer controlled by sin, and we are a new creation, but we see in verses 18 through 20, in Christ, point number three, in Christ, we are given the ministry of reconciliation. Verses 18 through 20, it says, all this is from God. And as we go, all this is from God, it's pointing back to basically the previous six or seven verses we've just read. All these things that we have in Christ, the love of Christ controls us. We are a new creation in Christ. We no longer live, but Christ lives through us. It is not our life, but we have a new life in Christ. So all these things, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we see as he refers back to all these things, one thing we also need to note is just in these three verses, reconcile is used five times or some form of it. So anytime in scripture we see something repeat itself, we need to look and go, okay, obviously there's a main point here. Okay? This whole passage about the ministry of reconciliation, there's something about reconciliation. So as we look at that, God's kind of putting this spotlight on it. And the Greek word for reconcile actually means, in, in this context, to restore to divine favor. Okay? We see in Ephesians and other passages, we are actually enemies of God. We are set up against God. We are his natural enemies. But yet through Christ, he actually made us sons of God and made us righteous. God literally mends and heals our estrangement to him 
and our brokenness when he reconciles us. So teenagers, kids, adults, we can relate to this too. Kind of to bring this down a little bit, how many of y'all have ever had a brother, a sister, or a friend take something from you, do something mean to you, and it, it made you mad? And all of a sudden, now y'all's relationship that was good, now all of a sudden it's kind of torn apart a little bit, right? Anybody ever been through those situations? Uh, hopefully everybody can raise their hand, right? Because if not, then I'm in a very minority position here, okay? So as we do that, what needs to happen in order for that relationship to be brought from here back to the point of its original state, right? There has to be some understanding of, from really both parties, okay, maybe I, I did wrong, maybe you did wrong, let's admit that, let's reconcile that, let's restore this relationship, but also there's forgiveness that's involved. You see, we've offended a holy God. And so our relationship in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve was like this until they sinned and then it got torn apart. Okay, and we see throughout history and you know, Israelites kind of doing these things and going in this vicious circle and this vicious, vicious pattern of turning to God and turning away from God and their sin getting a hold of them and then Jesus came to this earth to die and he paid the penalty for our sin at that point in time and then and only then did he mend that relationship back. If we are in Christ at that point in time, that relationship that was once broken, he brings that back to its original state just like it was in the Garden of Eden where he walked in the garden with Adam and Eve and they communed with him. He brings that back so we can commune with God. Hebrews not only tells us can we commune with God, but he says that we can go boldly before his throne. Okay? Contrary to maybe some other religions that look at him as transcendent and which he is, but transcendent and can't be touched, can't be talked to, can't have a relationship with. It's about a relationship. He desires that relationship and made a way for that to be mended. This is what Christ did when he reconciled us to himself. When we sinned against him, he brought us back to that original state. So God not only reconciles us to himself, but he also makes us his ambassadors. Okay? How many of us have heard about ambassadors in foreign countries? They tend to have a decent amount of power or at least a, different, a certain amount of clout when they go to a foreign country and they're an ambassador for the United States or an ambassador for this country. They have some clout when they're before either the United Nations or other settings, right? So in the same way, God has made us ambassadors, not just, hey, yes, you're my witnesses. He tells us we're, we're going to be his witnesses, you know, in the Great Commission. But he says, not only that, but you are my ambassadors for this ministry of reconciliation that I've given to you. You actually have importance. I want you to go. You have this clout. Go out and tell people. Go and tell what God has done for us. So we literally have been given everything that we need to tell others about his reconciling grace because Christ gave us this ministry. Christ gave it to us. I can't fester it up, right? Trevor can't fester it up. Chris can't fester it up. We can't bring this about ourselves. This is something that God has given to us. See, we are called to go and tell. That's the Great Commission. That is why we're here on this earth. That's the only reason all of us are still here today, if you're in Christ. It's because he says, there's more that need to hear about me. But we're also equipped by God to go and tell. There's a story of a pastor, uh, and he was on a plane ride and going to a men's conference uh, in another state. And, you know, he had had, he always tries to interact with people, uh, being a pastor and, and everything else. And, you know, one he got on and started talking and, the guy immediately was like, oh gosh, this guy's a pastor. I don't want to be here for four hours listening to a pastor talk about something I don't want to hear. 
when he, he sat down another one, he's kind of opened up his Bible, he's gone through some notes of things he wanted to say at this men's conference. And there was actually a Muslim gentleman beside him. And so he's, he's like, you know, is that the Bible? And he said, well, yes, it is. And so he started asking questions. And, uh, and so he got into a lot of stuff. And this pastor knew where this gentleman stood as far as his faith. And he talked about sin. And he's like, yeah, I'm probably about actually, when I land, I'm probably going to go do some sin, you know, anyway. And he's like, well, okay, what does, you know, Allah think of that? And he's like, well, I just hope that he'll forgive me. And he said, well, the one true God will not just forgive you. You actually have to accept being in Christ. It's not about just, well, hopefully everything will pan out and I have a hope that maybe, you know, this God of the universe will just forgive me for the sake of forgiving me, right? Everybody gets to go to heaven. No, it's only through the work of Jesus Christ and what he has done. And when we accept that, which God gives us the ability to even do that, then and only then, can we go? But he was, he realized he was equipped to go and tell. So the question for all of us is, will we participate? Will we, will we participate in this ministry of reconciliation that God has given to us? I mean, this pastor is like, no, I, I get it. You, you have this hope, but, and now by me telling you, yes, it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ, but he made a way, he had a plan to actually reconcile all humanity to himself. There is a way, like he was orchestrating and being an ambassador for this ministry of reconciliation. Everyone in this room too, you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a super mature Christian. You could have just come to faith, but you know what? God changed your life. That's something nobody can take away from you. When you give your testimony of what God has done in your life, then and only then will people see who Christ is through you because they see a changed life. Funny story. I was actually, I didn't come to Christ until I was 16, so I was a junior. Uh, I was between my sophomore and junior year in high school. Uh, did a little bit in the church as a kid. Had a big blow up. My parents decided to not go back to church at all again. My brother had been trying to get me to go, didn't, didn't want to go. Uh, ended up going to a church camp that I thought, because it was in Panama City, would have nothing to do with church and more to do with fun. Uh, I was young, naive, and dumb. So, at any rate, my whole plan was go through college, you know, kind of sow my oats, right? Have my fun. And then at that point in time, I'll do this whole Jesus thing later. And Jesus had a different plan. Jesus came and arrested my heart and said, no, I have a greater plan for you. I want you to see my love. I want you to be controlled by my love. And as I did that, there had to be a change, right? Okay. Now I wasn't like horrible by any means, but I can tell you, and my wife can testify to this, because somebody had told her, like, Sean Baxter's carrying a Bible around to high school. And she's like, Sean Baxter? Yeah, right. It was a shock to her because she had seen and heard of how I had lived and the people that I hung out with. But when Christ changed me, then all of a sudden she saw me and we talked. And she was like, he has been changed. God has done a work in him. And guess what? God has done any of y'all that are in Christ and have made that decision to accept what Christ has done for the cross and turn from your sin in this room today. Y'all have that same thing. Y'all have that testimony that God has changed me. So we need to remember what it's like to be lost. As I said, Benny had said, I never got over being saved. We need to look back and reflect again, re referencing our Ebenezer rock here, remember of God's love and the grace that he's poured out on us. So if we don't, we need to reflect back.
if we do remember what it was like to be lost, we need to actively go and tell. We need to be his ambassadors for this ministry of reconciliation. So not only are we no longer controlled by sin by being in Christ, and not only are we a new creation in Christ, and we're given the ministry of reconciliation, but my final point, point four, in Christ, we are given his righteousness. Verse 21, it says, and this, this verse wraps up the entire passage, but it ultimately wraps up the entire account of the gospel and all of scripture. It says, for our sake, he made him, being Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, this is the great exchange. We're a sinful people. Romans tells us no one seeks God, no, not one. So even on our best day apart from Christ, when we are lost, when we are enemies against Christ, there's no way we would seek God. We might come to church, right? Might have grown up in church, might do some good things, might play the game, right? There's multiple stories of people who grew up in church and didn't come to Christ until 30s and 40s and even later, okay? It's about the great exchange. Christ literally took our sin upon himself, even though he never sinned. He took God's full and just wrath that we deserve to receive when he was upon the cross. You see, God the Father said, there's, there's got to be a sacrifice. And Jesus said, Dad, I got this. I will go and you can pour out all your sin, all the sins of the world upon me. Why do you think when he was on the cross and he yelled out, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that point in time, God the Father, because God and sin cannot mix, God the Father literally had to turn his back on his son and say, I can't associate with sin. As, as the people of the world, past, present, and future, all their sins are being poured out on my son. I can't associate with that because I'm holy. I am set apart. And because of who I am, I can't change. And so Jesus was left alone to die on that cross as the son of God and the son of man. And as he did that, he then took our sin. But then not only that, but then he gave us his righteousness as we see in this verse. So for our sake, he became sin, who, he made him sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, God, Jesus Christ was holy and perfect. So not only did he take our sin away from us, but he said, you know what? I'm going to clothe you in my righteousness. I'm going to give you who I am in my essence when you accept me, when you're in Christ, you actually have my righteousness. You see, when we're in Christ, God the Father doesn't see our sin, but instead he sees the son's perfect righteousness that was imparted or scripture will talk about uh, imputing uh, to us. His righteousness literally was given to us. What an awesome thing that we are not held accountable for the sin that we deserve to be held accountable for and that we are given the righteousness of God that we truly don't deserve to have. You see, this is the foundation that we have when we talk about spiritual disciplines through Christ and what Christ has done and, and these things that we see in the ministry of reconciliation, a new creation that we're not controlled by anything but his love now. Those are the things that we build the foundation of our spiritual disciplines, the foundation of our spiritual walk with the Lord. As we're being sanctified, we have to go back to that foundation and go, because of you and only you, Jesus, can I have this foundation? Can I actually go and have these spiritual disciplines? If we don't have conviction that who God says he is is exactly who he is, and we don't have conviction that we have this ministry of reconciliation, and we don't have conviction that God is the only way through Christ Jesus, spiritual disciplines are going to be a checkbox. 
They're going to be legalism. They're going to be one of those things. But if we truly believe that's what it is and we live that out and we go, this is my foundation, then at that point in time, then our spiritual disciplines become obedience because we're wanting to get to know Christ and know him more and become more and more like him. That is how we get to that point. So we may, pray, may we praise him for his great love and grace that he poured out on us uh, and live in that daily. And even as Matthew talked about a little bit last week, I believe it was, may we dwell in him. May we literally take up residence with Jesus Christ and say, I want to sit down and get to know you more. That's where these spiritual disciplines come from. We have to have that motivation to go, I want to sit down. You know, Psalm 23, we hear read at funerals many times, right? I make them lie down and rest. I make them basically go down to drink the water, right? We have to rest in Christ, and that is such a tough thing. It's been said from this pulpit many times by many people. Busyness is probably our greatest enemy these days. How many of us are busy day in and day out with work, with these, right? We're constantly bombarded. I mean, you even look, you know, when I was growing up, the news, like, it was the news. Now you have the news and all these little tickers going across the bottom saying, hey, what about this? And breaking news here and breaking it. And it's just overstimulation. And we get so busy. And that's one of Satan's greatest tactics and one of his greatest tools is he takes our focus off of Christ and he puts it on the things of this world. May we focus on Christ and on him only and may we dwell and sit down, dwelling like taking up, having dinner with, talking with, getting to know. Which brings us back to our big idea. Being in Christ frees us from the control of sin. It makes us new creations. It gives us a new ministry and imparts Christ's righteousness to us. Church, may we pray. Father God, as we come before you, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Father, that never returns void. Father, it is, it is true. It is perfect. Father, I pray that uh, as we kind of just focus on and marinate on what you have given to us in your word. Uh, Father, that our foundation will be built upon Christ and Christ alone. That, Father, those of us that are in Christ, we would realize uh, the freedoms that we have in Christ, but also that we are ambassadors. Father, we have been given a high position so that we can go out and tell others of the ministry of reconciliation that a holy God left the glories of heaven so that he would die and take upon our sin and that we might receive his righteousness and be clothed in righteousness instead of our sin. And fathers, we do that. May our foundation be built upon that. And Father, then that will allow us to have the motivation to want to get to know you more through our prayer, Father, through reading of your word and through communion with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, I just pray for this time of response. Father, that you would just uh, move in a mighty way. Father, just pierce our hearts and allow you to be glorified uh, as we're just most satisfied in you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.